Last night as I was putting some finishing touches on the sermon and thinking through the message, it occurred to me that um, this world is crazy. There's a lot of bad stuff all over the place. And we have some believers, some brothers and sisters that are going through some real hardships right now in Afghanistan especially. And it, we wouldn't be the church, in my opinion. We wouldn't be the church, at least practicing the church life, if we didn't pause and spend some time in prayer and be committing this to prayer. Um, Bob and Rachel, you, like, I saw you this morning and I said, hey, I know this is your heart. Would you be willing? And you were like, give me the mic. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just really uh, appreciate your heart. And I know, Rachel, as we were talking about it, you said, yeah, actually, we just put together a newsletter and we have these, is it seven or eight points? Eight points of this is how the church can be praying for Afghanistan. So uh, it, it is right and it is good for us to pause on the sermon and spend time uh, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I just kind of want to turn it over to you and, and let you share how we can pray. And then where is a church going to join together in prayer too? Yeah, thanks for that. What a privilege it is for us to be able to be connected with the body in this way, to pray for people literally half a world away who are going through struggles. Some of you might remember the young Afghan woman that uh, stood up here a few years ago, Zahra, who gave her testimony and thanked you for your part in investing in her in a way that she could come to know our Messiah. Our last week has been spent with a lot of time coordinating with her and others about uh, the situation of her family who were still in uh, Kabul in desperate situations. They had been threatened. There have been people that have come and searched for them in their home. They've made multiple trips to the airport. Uh, we were really uh, very concerned for them. Uh, some of them had been uh, injured by uh, the stampedes that had taken place there in the chaos with that. At 6.15 this morning, we got news that some very brave people had gone and extracted them out of the city and they are now in the airport. So as we speak, they are waiting for their airlift uh, out of the country. We'd like you to pray for that family. But we also want to share with you um, that there is a small emerging church in Afghanistan. It's bigger than we think and smaller than is being reported in some of the uh, avenues. We want to ask that you would pray it perseveres in the face of persecution and that the gospel would shine bright. We want to share one specific story of an Afghan brother named Ham. Don't know if that's his real name. And the, there's a church in Texas that have paid the smuggler, the human smuggler fees to get everybody, his whole family out except him. The reason is, is because his passport says he's a Christian and he would compromise the whole uh, ordeal. So they were writing to us yesterday saying, what should we tell Ham? What is your analysis? And we agreed. We said, your analysis is correct. Give up on the airport for an Afghan Christian. Um, he has two choices in our opinion. He has the choice of... Uh, he, could, he could burn his passport and they pay the human smuggler fee and get him out to the, through the porous border of Pakistan. Or he could choose to keep it because it's hard to not have identification papers, in which case if he's accosted by extremists on his way out, he has to be willing to stand firm for Jesus Christ. And we said, tell him Jesus Christ is worth it 
and that we, and I spoke for all of you and us, that the global church is on our knees praying desperately for Afghan brothers and sisters who are making these very difficult decisions and are facing martyrdom for the sake of Jesus Christ. So we stand with him, whatever choice he makes, whatever the Lord is inviting him to at this point. So please pray for him, obviously, uh, specifically. Also, there are a lot of other people that are at risk right now. Uh, some of them have, uh, they've been promised things. And, uh, and we want you to know that there are a number of people there right now. It's not being reported, but they are taking great risk of themselves to to make, do, uh, make good on the promises and, and uh, follow through with the moral obligations. So pray for them and uh, encourage for the work that they're doing. We also want to say that um, it's really common of a faith journey of Afghans and Muslims to have some sort of a, spirit, a supernatural interaction with Jesus Christ. And in the last week, we've heard numerous reports of Jesus appearing to Afghans. So we want to ask you to pray that Afghans would continue to receive visions and dreams during this time. But don't forget, he appeared to Saul, who was an extremist, and he is appearing to Taliban and ISIS. So pray that that continues and that they also repent and come to him. Yeah, and, and pray especially right now for the spiritual sensitivity of Afghans. Commonly what happens in times like this, when extremists come in and they impose their view of what God is, that uh, others see that and they say, well, if that's what God's about, there must be a different God. And so they're very sensitive to uh, looking into the teachings of our Savior. So pray for that. Also, I, I want I want to encourage us to do more than pray. This is going to be a time when Afghans especially need some, some practical help and care. And we've seen that in the past too, that when Christians step forward and they say, I am here to care for all of you, your person and, uh, and what you need, that those people see the love of Jesus in practical ways in that way. So we're asking for prayer for that as well. Amen. Um, Rachel and Bob, I, I'd like both of you to pray today and, and uh, lead us in a time of prayer. And I'm, there's no time limit on this, okay? So I'm asking you to pray your heart uh, and to pray for these families. And if you have some by name or, uh, I don't know, an alternate name, uh, please, please pray uh, that way. We're going to join you. And at the close of this time, I'll, I'll close us in prayer. Church, would you just... Uh, Maybe, maybe there are even some of you that you have pen and paper. I would encourage you to use this time to write down some of these prayer requests that you're going to hear in real time. So please be, let's keep this in prayer before us. Thank you. Lord, I think of Anayat and Baki. I think of some people, I don't know their name, but I know who they are. They're so scared right now. Could you just break our hearts with what breaks your heart? that we would be even just increase our horror at the evil that is being unleashed, increase our compassion and our desire to stand with Afghan brothers and sisters, but all Afghans who are afraid right now and they don't know you. Lord, we are just begging you. We are begging you to work. We're begging you to do supernatural work even in the minds and hearts of Talib leaders right now. Lord, we're, we're just asking for your protection over your body in Afghanistan, that they would be able to live and to grow and to spread your word among Afghans. We don't know what needs to happen, Lord, but would you just 
somehow make it so that more people can get through those gates into safety. Lord, and we, we trust in you. We know that you see and that you care. And Father, we worship you in this. We know that you are worthy of all things. And, uh, and so we remind our souls that you are a God who is worthy. Jesus, we lift up the, the church in Afghanistan and, and ask, oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in a way that in the days to come we would look back and say, look what God has done. Lord, we, we pray for these families that uh, are having to make decisions. Uh, Ham's not the only one who's saying, do I burn my passport or do I... Uh, do I keep it and become a martyr? Lord, I, I pray for your strength, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would immerse these, these brothers and sisters with wisdom and a strength to, to stand strong despite the outcome. What we perceive should be the outcome. Lord, I, I pray for your church that Oh, you're making her beautiful. And sometimes these, these things, Lord, they're painful and they're, they're awful, but you use them for your glory. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would continue to do your work. We've heard so many stories of, of you meeting people in dreams. And, and, and Lord, we recognize that that is one way that you are at work in the Middle East and and even in Afghanistan, that, that you are speaking to the hearts, not just of believers, but also unbelievers, uh, Lord, that you, that you have a plan in all this place. And I would even pray right now for Taliban that, that there would be a movement of your Holy Spirit in such a way that it would, it would grab and transform that lives in such a way that communities would be transformed and where there was a, a darkness and a fear to share the gospel, there would be a reception and a love and an embracing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, Lord, that in the days to come, we would look back and go, Holy Spirit, look and see what you have done. We love you. We thank you. We pray, O oh Lord, for uh, just these dark days throughout the world. And we pray, Almighty God, that you would help us to be strong, to be brave, and obedient to your word for your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your love, you guys. And we're going to be praying for you as no doubt you're going to have more of these kind of conversations in the days to come. So you're in our prayers. Would you give them a hand, please? Well, we are looking at tools for wisdom in the Proverbs, and um, I, I want to thank you for letting me interrupt this, uh, this time to spend some time in corporate prayer. Like that, That's what we do is, as followers of Jesus, and um, I want to encourage you and ask of you to continue to keep this before you in your prayer time and in your prayer closets, please. 
We are in uh, Proverbs, and like I said, we're going to be in a couple of places. A few of the scriptures are going to be up on the screen, but you're also going to need your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, get them ready, because we're going to, we're going to be in it. <laughs> uh, if you don't have your Bibles and you're, uh, you have a Bible app, I want to encourage you to use that. This is my step of faith, that you're actually using it for a Bible app. And, and not posting things or whatever. So uh, my, my step of faith and my trust to you, I hold you in high esteem, so that's why. We, uh, I, as we get ready to get into this passage, I want to frame it. Uh, I want to frame where we're going today. We're going to talk about self-control. But before we talk about self-control, I want to frame this. And here's how. Uh, the first thing that I want to identify is that for the follower of Jesus, there is no secular. We live in sacred spaces. In other words, if God is with us and he promises to never leave us or forsake us, wherever we go, God is there. We live in sacred spaces, not in secular spaces. So if you're thinking, oh man, I... I love church because that's where I meet God. That's great. But for the follower of Jesus, we meet God wherever we're at because he's with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's with us. And so that's an important piece as we jump into this matter of self-control. The next thing that I have for us is, is more of a question. And it's a, it's a question that I want us to immerse our minds in and and. I think we, we need to be not harsh and not mean, but painfully honest with ourselves. Here's the question. What controls us? What controls us? So this is the framework that we're going to use as we jump in to this matter of self-control. We're going to look at it through the Proverbs. We're going to take a couple of verses and look at them. There are going to be some compare and contrast moments. We're going to try to understand uh, what the author may have meant uh, by the passages that we use. Then we're, we're going to pull away and, and we're going to look at uh, self-control from a little different perspective. Uh, in other words, as a believer, should it be self-control at all? Well, we'll talk about that. And then we're going to look at ourselves as a city so that's, that's one of the illustrations that's used as a city and also uh, as, as a servant, as a servant. So we're going to look at ourselves from those perspectives in relationship to the scriptures and ask the Lord to evaluate our hearts and to be honest with it. There may be an opportunity for repentance today that we are headed in one direction and we have a sense that we are headed in the wrong direction and we change our minds and we repent and to follow the Lord in some areas. There, there may be that challenge today. There's going to be a challenge for us to uh, identify who is sitting on the throne of our hearts and to serve the Lord. I hope you're ready. Uh, th this may look a little different, may feel a little different too. Uh, that's okay. We're going to embrace whatever the Lord has for us. So with that in mind, let's talk about self-control by Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It's identified as restraint exercised over one's emotions, impulses, or desires. So it's restraint. Keep that in mind. It's restraint exercised. I choose to not. That's the idea. 
So what are some signs of little or no self-control? Glad you asked. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, so one example is little or no self-discipline. Lack of goals or inability to reach goals. I'll give you an example. Uh, this, I don't know if you're like this. New Year's Day. I have resolutions. Do you have resolutions? Anybody does do that? Or you're like wise enough. Yeah, I used to, but not anymore. Uh, okay, so start with a resolution. And uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be there, whatever. And then like January 2nd, I'm like, that was stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, that's a sign of low self-control. Low motivation, little to no willpower, difficulty controlling emotions, lack of attention, quick to blame others, difficulty maintaining friendships, dangerous or over-passive lifestyles are all examples of a lack of self-control of which we are all guilty at one point in our lives. So let's talk about that. We are, uh, we are in Proverbs chapter 25, and we're going to go to verse 28. So Proverbs 25, 28. And let's, let's look at this passage uh, really quick. A man without self-control, pause there. <laughs> the idea of self-control as it comes across in the Hebrew scriptures would be like this. It's it, the word that's actually used is uh, ruach. It's connected with the word restraint. Ruach is the word for spirit. So the idea is a restrained spirit or restrained to or for the spirit. So that, that's the idea of self-control. Now, it's used in a full, uh, a, a full person context. So it's not just your spirit, the spirit person inside, but your whole person, your whole being, the physical person included. So self-control is a pretty good word that we use, uh, or that, that we use to define that phrase. So, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The comparison is to a city. Now, to us in the West, we have an idea of what a city is and what it is not, what it is for. But we have to go back uh, to the author and go, well, what did they mean? When they're talking about city, what does it mean? Because uh, this seems a little unique. Like, uh, okay, a person with, without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So does that mean they're conquered? Like, what are we saying? Well, uh, let's break that down a little bit. For us to get a visual aid, this is what uh, an ancient city may have looked like. There were other versions of this, obviously, but you can see these big, thick walls. They were there, and they were there for a reason, and the reasons are this. The city belongs to a kingdom. So cities just, they, they weren't uh, autonomous. They, in general, connected with a kingdom that oversaw them. The kingdom was ruled by a king. A king reigns over his kingdom by making laws for his subject, and those laws in some kingdoms were just um, the king would proclaim it, and it was law. In other kingdoms, there, was, there were certain steps that had to be taken before they became laws. So there's this, this big spectrum of what it meant to make laws in the ancient world, but a king reigns over his kingdom, and in part, his responsibility was to make laws for his subjects. And then, in relationship to this passage, a city without walls is being conquered by another kingdom. In other words, if there are no walls... It is easy to be conquered by other kingdoms. So 
uh, in this passage, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. We recognize that that city uh, belongs to a kingdom, that that kingdom is ruled by a king, that that king reigns over his kingdom and gives laws for his subject, and that if there are no walls, then that city is being conquered. And maybe in your brain, you're already thinking of the walls of Jericho, for example, Walls so big that they were having chariot races on top of them. When it fell, the children of Israel easily took the city, but it took the walls to come down before that occurred. Let's keep going. Let's look at another proverb. Let's go to Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 16.32 says it this way, referring to self-control. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Well, who would be it? Who would be the person who would take a city? That person is a warrior. So we're talking about a warrior in this context. So someone who has self-control is better than a warrior. But again, we have to ask the question, like, what does it mean to be a warrior in the ancient world? We have an understanding in our current context, perhaps, but maybe it misses the mark just a little bit. So a warrior in the ancient world serves at the will of the king. The king dictated where the warriors would go, uh, the battles that they would fight, and how that would happen. They were completely committed to training for battle. Uh, day and night, there was a responsibility that they are preparing for a battle to serve their king, to serve their kingdom. And then, willing to do whatever it takes to win a battle. Willing to do whatever it takes to win a battle. That may mean give up their lives. One of my favorite stories, although the, it's questionable if this, is, if this is true, if it's accurate, but a lot of stories have come out about Alexander the Great. One of those stories is this. Alexander the Great was about to conquer a city. The city was a part of a kingdom. Uh, now, in that context, the, the ruler of that city came out he had nearly twice as many soldiers as uh, Alexander the Great had, and he was behind fortified walls. And so the king said to Alexander, Alexander, uh, why would we surrender to you? Why would we do that? We have a fortified city. I have more soldiers than you have. Alexander turned around and he looked at his uh, army and he made a motion and the army lined up. They made another motion, and they lined up in front of a cliff, and they began to walk one by one. Bloop, bloop, that sound effect me, bloop. And they went off the side of the cliff. After six, seven, eight, Alexander put his hand up. They stopped. Wouldn't you be thankful to be the person who was right at the, whew, that was a close one. Uh, he stopped. He made another gesture, and all of the men came around him. All the warriors came around him and surrounded him. And the governor, the ruler of that city, said, we give. Because he recognized that they were willing to do whatever it took to win. His soldiers were farmers. They were not willing to do whatever it took to win. The point is, that is a mentality in the ancient world. And it's something to consider as we jump into this passage. One of the problems that I, I believe we have in the West is... Uh, the idea of self-control for the believer. 
Now, there is a certain amount of self-control, and we, we recognize even in the New Testament there's discussion of self-control, but that, that is under a bigger banner. And so what I'd like to start doing is training our brains because I, I feel like self-control has been hijacked by the world so much that it's like um, behavior modification in the church. So if we just do the right things, then we get the right things. We're motivated by self or self-interest. What we're talking about here is Christ control, that Christ reigns on our heart, that we're under his authority, and the decisions that we make are brought under the authority of Christ, that we're restrained to our own flesh, uh, our own desires, not because we're so good, but because that is a way that we honor God. So Christ control is the phrase that I want to encourage us to embrace. With that in mind, let's, uh, let's ask some questions. One of the questions we want to ask is, does Christ control our city? Now, I'm not talking about Prior Lake. I'm not talking about Shakopee. Uh, the, the comparison was to ourselves. So we are, uh, we are being compared to a city individually. So does, does Christ control us? is the question. Let's look at it with the intention of what a city is, and let's consider it with respect to us. So first of all, to what kingdom do we belong? To what kingdom do we belong? Here's where we're going to start jumping into some scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those now. We're going to be in Galatians, and let's go to Galatians 5. Let's go to Galatians 5. And we're going to look, actually, you know what, because of time, Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is where you should uh, go highlight it, underline it, it's an important passage, but let's go to Romans 8. Sorry, we're going to change it on the spot. Romans 8, verse 6. Because sometimes I think when we say, to what kingdom do we belong, we often think, okay, God and the devil. There is a spiritual element, we're going to talk about that spiritual element in, uh, in just a few moments. But more often than not, the comparison is not God and the devil. That's not the general comparison. We do see it in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 6. And this is what it says. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Let's see what that compares to. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So what kingdom? We have the flesh or we have the spirit. What do we get with the flesh? We get death. The biblical definition of death is separation from God. Not just not breathing, but separation from God and the blessings that follow, uh, uh, the, the benefits of following God. It's gone. It's separated. So what do we have with the flesh? Death. I'm, I'm done with death. I, got, I don't want that. I also recognize that there is a deep internal struggle that is very easy for me to justify and even call it the spirit. What about the spirit? In this passage, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Is life and peace. Biblical definition, right with God, relationship with God, that's life. We're, we're in relationship with the God. Peace is full body. It's not just, la uh, it's not just lack of conflict, but it's full body, it's complete, it's whole person, it's spiritual, mental, emotional. That's peace. I'm good. I, I am at peace with where God 
uh, is taking me with what God is doing. And that's in part what we're, what we're praying for, for our, our uh, brothers and sisters in the Mideast. Lord, meet them with your peace and with your life. That's, that's a part of this. So to what kingdom do we belong? Who is sitting on the throne of our heart? Is it ourselves? Or is it the Spirit? This is true confession, pastor confession time. Um, I don't really like doing this. I'll be honest with you. But I, if, if I'm going to be fair, then I need to do this. So uh, I'm just going to confess something to you. I, I woke up this morning just with a really nasty attitude. I did. I don't know if I just didn't get enough sleep. I got, well, I got lots of justifications for it. Uh, let me know afterwards, and I'll help you flesh that out even more. Um, I woke up on the, on the wrong side. And here's what started to happen. I started to think of a situation that just really agitated me. And then I thought more about that situation. And then I started connecting it with some faces of people that I know that, uh, and it just, it just started spiraling. You know what? That's the flesh. That's the flesh. I, and I had to spend some time in repentance this morning. I, I did some confession before we started. Uh, got things right not so that we could have this discussion right now, but to identify that it is so easy to put self on the throne of our heart. Like, like it just, it can happen real easy. And what we're saying right now is that is not of God. That is not God's plan. That is not God's plan. So what is uh, for Christ to be sitting on that throne? So what king rules us? And are we subject to Christ's laws? Now, we get that from a variety of places, right? We know that uh, Matthew 22, God, Jesus calls us to love God and love others. Uh, we recognize that Jesus calls us to, um, uh, the, the way that they'll know we're his disciples is the way that we love one another. We also recognize in Jesus' own prayer uh, in John chapter 17, he says this, Father, make them one as you and I are one, that the world may know that you sent me, that the Father sent the Son. So there is a call to this sort of love, to love God, to love others. This call not just to love, but to unity. Not just to love like uh, occasionally, but that's a part of who we are. And it's not this flippant worldly kind of love, but a love that is plugged into the power source of God. And that love is given to us, this agape kind of love. It's a non-transactional. We love because we love, because love has been given to us. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you've done the right things. It's not because you make me feel happy. It's not, like, that is not the kind of love we're talking about. But this love is defined because it, it comes from God and it's non-transactional. It's who he is and it's what he's given us. So, what king rules us? Are we subject to Christ's laws and is our city fortified? Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians chapter 2, we, we see something uh, that, is, that is pretty important. It uh, starts in verse 6. Verse 6. Therefore, so Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words... The, the call to the church, if you receive Jesus, walk in him. Like, do what Jesus calls us to do. Follow him where he leads us. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. 
abounding in thanksgiving. I, I, I love this. This is so important. It's very easy for us to overlook some things. Is our, is our city fortified? Are those walls up? Well, how, what did that look like? Well, uh, here's what it looked like for the early church for a thousand years. There was no division in the church. Now, I'm not, there were heretics, and those heretics were at times removed. There, were, there was trouble within the church. Sometimes, for example, uh, in Corinth, you know, the, 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 um, uh, Paul is going, like, how are you dreaming up new ways to sin? This is amazing. Like, you're so creative in your sin. Couldn't you just put that towards God instead? Like, I, I recognize the church, even though they weren't divided for those first thousand years, there were issues, but they weren't divided. And what, we're, what it says here is abounding in thanksgiving. One of the things that they did during that time is a thing called the Eucharist. Uh, the, the Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's also practiced as the Lord's Supper and communion. And the reason why that's significant is because it made the church turn towards Christ instead of turn towards self. It reminded there's this body that's broken for us, that is given, and it's God in the flesh that he's given us his life. It's not just that, but it's, it's also the blood that was given that our sins wouldn't just be covered, but taken away. And the Eucharist, this communion, this Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, reminded believers of that throughout time. And they were abounding in thanksgiving because when we go to that place of recognizing that it's God's work, not my work, man, there is some humility in that place. And when we realize that if we're, if we're looking at this uh, linear uh, view of God, that God is separated from humankind by infinity, and I'm right here on this timeline of infinity separation, and you are here on this timeline, even though you're ahead of me, guess what? You're still separated by infinity, and I'm separated by infinity, and it's only the work of God that puts us together. In other words, it's not about me, and it's not about you, but it is about this work, and there is this beautiful thing that occurs in that place, and it reminds us that these walls are fortified, that we're strong. We're not going to be taken over uh, by the flesh. We're not going to be taken over by this foreign enemy of God as our city fortified. Next, does Christ control our service? Now, you might be thinking, wait, in the passage you used, you said warrior. Now you're saying service. I like warrior better. I get it. Me too. But a warrior is ultimately a, a servant of the king in the ancient world. So with that fact, what we're talking about is service and our service. Remember I led with, there is no secular. There is only sacred for the believer. So we walk in sacred spaces because God is there. He says he never leave us or forsake us. For the believer, his spirit indwells the believer. So wherever the believer is, we are with God in those ways. It's sacred. We walk in those sacred spaces. It's not secular. And you say, well, it's not Sunday during church. Yep, that's true. And God's still present in that place. And he still loves us, and he still wants to work with us, and in us, and through us, and he still wants us to be in communion together with him and with other believers, even when we're not walking, or even though we're not together in a church service like this. It's still God at work. So, 
Uh, we're talking about service in this particular uh, section. And it starts with this. Where do we spend our time? At the will of Christ? So the implication is our will or Christ's will. This isn't about shaming. And it's not about saying, well, I can't go camping. What, I'm not supposed to spend money on myself? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Don't jump the gun on Settle down, people. <laughs> that's not at all. But what I am saying is that sometimes our lives can become about sitting on the throne of our hearts and our decisions become about sitting on the throne of our hearts and not about Christ's work in our life. That's the idea. Where do we spend our time? Secondly, are we purposefully being equipped for battle? I, I, I want to take us to a place. Let's go to Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 11 here in a moment. Verse 11. Are we purposefully being equipped for battle? Now, here's what I want to say about that. The battle is won. Jesus did it. It's Jesus' work. He did it. I, I don't ever have to die for the sins of the world. You will never have to die for the sins of the world. Uh, we are not going to get Kenny's spirit. We will not get your spirit. Uh, we receive Christ's spirit. His, he has done the work. That's the reality. However, I do have a responsibility. It's that Galatians 2.20 responsibility. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Christ's life being lived out through us, the believer. So are we purposefully being equipped for battle, recognizing that the battle is spiritual. And that's where I want to draw our attention in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. This is what it says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? Jesus identified it. Steal, kill, and destroy in John 10.10. 10. That's what the thief does. He still kills and destroys. Jesus comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 12 says it this way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I recognize that there is a spiritual battle that is occurring. And that sometimes as much as we want to explain things, we recognize that there is a work of God that needs to happen. And it's going to require us to be in prayer. And here, we identify that we're supposed to be putting on the armor of God. Good friend of mine, his name's Greg. 30 years into his walk with Christ, he confronted something that he never thought he'd have to deal with. He had to bury one of his children. His son died of overdose. And Greg, as a follower of Jesus, as a believer, he and his wife were devastated. You can imagine the pain And they recognized that in that place, like, God, I, this is not the way we wanted it. They didn't blame God. They chose to recognize that this is, a, this, this is for me. I'm going to double down in this place. I'm going to spend my time in prayer. I'm going to be praying for my children and my grandchildren like no other time in my life. And they, Craig and Aaron have committed themselves to it. They wake up in the morning. Uh, Greg does this every day. It's been confirmed by Aaron. She, he sometimes wakes her up. God, this is your day. What do you have for me? Then he stands up beside his bed and he says, Lord, help me to put on the helmet of salvation. 
my brain may think about the saving grace that you've given me, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, that my heart would be transformed to be like you, that you would sit on the throne of my heart, the breastplate of righteousness, put it all together with the belt of truth, Lord. Help me to recognize the truth and the lies and keep me held together in the truth. And Lord, on my feet, the readiness of the gospel of peace, that I would live and go toward peace in the things that I do and the way that I act. And Lord, let me hold on to the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith in all that I do because Satan is going to fire some fiery darts at me and I need to block it. And the only way I'm going to do that is being equipped. Are we purposefully being equipped for battle, getting in the word, understanding the word, reading the word, uh, living the word out? Are we in communion together? Are we spending time in accountability and love of other saints? Living it out. And then are we willing to do whatever it takes to win the battle? So according to the stats, there are less than 10,000 born-again believers in Scott County. It's a fraction, it's a small fraction of the total population of Scott County. Are we willing to do what it takes to win the battle? Not that our battle is against flesh and blood, but we have incredible opportunity to share the gospel. And let me tell you, it doesn't start with our neighbors, it starts in our home. Are we willing to do whatever it takes for Greg and Aaron, it was getting up early and praying. It was connecting in fellowship with other believers. Joining a life group for them was a way that they, uh, that they grew in Christ. Are we willing to do what it takes? It's an identifier of who's sitting on the throne of our heart. With that in mind, as we wrap up our time and in just a few moments, the worship team's going to come Let's look at this. There's a call to Christ's kingdom in this. Are we going to be in the flesh or in Christ? It's, this is, that's the decision. Am I going to walk in the flesh? Am I going to sit on the throne of my heart? Or is Christ? Now here's the deal. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he did this. Uh, the, the days, uh, in those days, he started to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reign of God is here, so repent. And what that means is this, that we may be walking in this direction, but our mind is changed, that the direction we're going is the wrong direction. And so we turn and follow Christ. We go to him. It's a completely uh, different decision. It's mental and it's also physical. Repentance, it's complete. It's in our thought and in our works. That's repentance. And I think one of the things that concerns me in these days is that behavior modification that we talked about. Like We could be so good. I don't, I don't want the ramifications of a bad decision here, so I'm going to choose to do what I think is right. Behavior modification. Spiritual transformation. I don't want to do this. Uh, my flesh is bucking at this. But God's word says this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose to follow you in this place, even when it's hard. A call to Christ's kingdom. So it's repentance. Also in Matthew 4, there's a call to follow Jesus. He says it this way, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
There's a call to follow him. So whether we're plumbers or electricians or pastors or teachers or, or administrators or doctors or lawyers, or, it doesn't matter. There's a call to follow Jesus in those places and in those professions. And that brings us to the second one, a call to full-time service, a call to the gospel of Jesus. For those disciples that were following Jesus just before he ascended to heaven, he said this, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. A call to discipleship, to be a gospel giver, and to live a gospel-centered life. As I said earlier, this call to full-time service, it may be full-time ministry. Some of you may be even wrestling with that. Maybe God's called me to be a pastor or a missionary or to serve in a Christian nonprofit or, or whatever, like... Maybe full-time ministry is what God's calling you to do. And maybe it's not. What God is certainly calling you to do uh, is to be obedient to him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Certainly, that's the call of Christ. The worship team is going to come uh, up, and as they're coming up, I want to give you a quiet moment to consider this. Am I sitting on the throne of my heart more than I'm allowing Christ to? Am I, am I about building my kingdom or his? And then secondly, do I need strength? Do I need strength to walk in those sacred spaces? To not reject it, the, the sacred, and call it secular, but to embrace the sacred and reject the secular in my life. And then at, this time, at the end of this time of reflection, I'm going to ask you to stand. And for those of you who stand out, I just want to pray over you in, in kind of a special way in the service today. So I'll give you a quiet moment to do that. And as you're prepared to be prayed for, uh, if this is true for you, please stand. And I'll pray for you in just a few moments. If you're in need of prayer today, just want prayer today. If you're saying, yeah, this is a hard thing. Walking in Christ's kingdom and not mine, Kenny, I could use some prayer. Would you stand? If you're saying, I, oh, man, I, I, need to, I need to walk in the sacred, not the secular. I too often allow myself to walk in the secular. Maybe that's you today. Would you stand? For some of you, you may be considering full-time ministry. Would you stand? For some of you, you, you may just be saying, I don't know how I'm going to do it in the place that I work, but I'm bringing Jesus with me, and I, I, need, I need some strength. I need some prayer. If that's you, would you stand? And if there's anyone else, please stand. We're going to pray. Jesus, we love you, and we need you. And I, I, first of all, Lord, and I want to pray for forgiveness for those times where we've done our own thing, for those times where we have called the sacred secular, and we've, we've blasphemed you in those places. Forgive us, Lord. We know that your word tells us that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, so we would receive that now, and thank you, Lord. 
Lord, for us here today, we are, we are, we are stating we want to walk in you and your kingdom. And we want to walk a, a holy life where you're in control. So have your way in this place, almighty God. Lord, for those who are standing, I just pray a special blessing on them. I pray for a special strength. And I recognize that uh, what I'm not saying is that everything would be easy from here out. Lord, I recognize that there will be some fiery darts shot. I recognize that there will be some, uh, some blows <laughs> that, that we may receive in this place and that we're going to rely on the armor of God in this place because of your work at the cross, Lord. We can have that. We're strengthened by that. We receive that. I ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.